This is Last Week in DevOps, a podcast aiming to provide you with introductions to useful tech articles and spark your enthusiasm for continuous learning. This is Eddie Knight, and as usual, I'm on the air today with Joshua Kelly. Josh, how you doing? You feeling all right? I'm doing great, Eddie. How about yourself? Not too bad. I, uh, I've been working on an API, and right now, setting up the open API, or like Swagger is what it used to be known as, on the API and that entails me making little changes and then running all of our tests across a little bit of changes and then changing a little bit more and running all of the tests because of the way that our tests are designed. I didn't write the tests, but it's been a slow day, which might be why I have energy. You sound like you've had a full day of work. Have you had a, what have you been doing, Josh? Anything worth sharing? Yeah. Well, no, not really. Um, it's okay. I'm going to be, been... I'm going to be asking you a lot about yourself here in a minute. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't think you knew well, that. No, I had no idea. Um, no, it, uh, not much I can share, but a very, very full day. <laughs> okay. I guess that's a good thing, right? I mean, being bored at work is, is probably the worst thing that could happen to you. So today, Josh, so you know, and a little uh, little intro for our listeners, um, you did the normal thing. You you came up with, with some material about what's been going on this last week in DevOps or just in tech in general, right? Yeah. I've got a couple articles, a couple tools. Um, one thing I actually found today, which I'm kind of excited about and was just digging in earlier today before we got started on this. Tell me that stuff in a minute. But to warn you, I'm going to do a little bit of uh, last week in the life of Josh. You think that's going to be too much? Think you can handle that, Josh? I can probably handle that. All right, we'll get to that. But that is us fulfilling our promise to our listeners that we're going to give them a little bit more information about ourselves. And it's going to give us a little bit of practice on doing interviews before we bring anybody else on, because we do have a list of a few people that we're going to be bringing on in, in the upcoming weeks. But I figure we should ourselves get thrown in the hot seat before trying to throw anybody else in the hot seat. Sounds like a plan. All right. And I'm not holding you to any standard, Josh. So go ahead and um, tell me, what did you what did you find this week? Well, I have uh, a couple articles and a couple tools. Let me tell you about what I was looking at today, which is pretty cool. So it's something called Meshbird, Meshbird 2. Like a bird with wings yeah. or like an iceberg? Let's see. Do they have an icon? Like a, <laughs> like a gopher with wings. Okay. <laughs> kind of with a jet, jet pad. Okay, but it is bird, like B-I-R-D. Yes. Okay. Meshbird.com. It's a gopher with wings. Yep. It's a it's a tool written in Go. Go for, yeah. So let's see. They, they say Meshbird is an open source, cloud-native, multi-region, multi-cloud, decentralized, private network. Josh, that was too many words for me. Yeah, it's like all the buzzwords, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> best I can figure is, is you run this as a daemon. And if you have multiple machines that are running this, when you talk one to another, it will basically create a VPN tunnel for you without any of the extra overhead. Okay, so this sounds like similar to the benefit that we get from having Docker containers. They create their own little network that only they have access to. Is this doing the same thing, but for like... This is more of like a VPN tunnel to, from one box to another. So most folks, um, if they're working away from the office, they're working through a VPN to their office. Do you use a VPN to connect remotely to your oh, office? Oh yeah, we use Cisco and it is the bane of my existence for the uh, yes. for the VPN it, I think something's wrong with my client or whatever I've installed. I don't know. It's crazy. I don't know. When I've used that, it's been, I've had the similar experience. 
I'm sure there's ways to use it correctly, but um, <laughs> it, never, it never seems to work for me. So <laughs> this is more like a VPN tunnel like that between hosts. Cool. So where were you, where were you introduced to this? How did you come across it and be like, oh, this is cool? Actually, one of my coworkers in passing said, hey, I found this really cool tool and then passed me actually, instead of a link to the website, passed me a link to a Y Combinator link that had a great big kind of an introduction of that and a great big explanation of all the all the ins and outs and how it works. Okay, that's fun. Sometimes that's a better, like a more trustworthy source is, hey, somebody told me about this. I'm going to check it out. But like a, a human told me about this. It's not just... Oh, I was clicking on the internet and I saw an ad. What else is going on as far as what you've been researching and finding this week? So I was thinking earlier this week that we've had a few big consistent threads on this podcast. Big picture, we've had a few big consistent threads. Uh, we've had Git, CICD, containers, security, and culture. And security and culture have been the focus of a lot of our our discussion and a lot of our mm. podcast time. Yeah, And I think that that is probably um, appropriate. So this, this article fits with the security trend. So this was published on Tech Beacon by a fellow named Mohit. Um, he's the director of operations security at Adobe. So this article is how to secure your cloud infrastructure, the three planes of OPSEC. So, all right. So he, he goes through and he says, you know, in order to, to secure your cloud infrastructure, you need to focus on three planes of cloud operation security. Um, he, he details the human plane, tooling plane, and the data plane. Does he talk about the ER plane? Oh, gosh. The ER plane. All right. So he's, he goes through talking about the human plane and how to secure your cloud infrastructure. You need to focus on the human element. I really liked how he, in different words, was making the case for DevSecOps, or at least SecOps. He's really focusing on the infrastructure side of things. You know, we've we've been talking about Dev DevSec um, and DevSecOps. Um, so I'm going to insert the Dev there. This article is more about infrastructure, though. But he kind of, in different words, makes the case for SecOps, security, working hand in hand with engineers. You know, collaborating with the goal of a more secure organization. So I really appreciated that. He goes into talking about the tooling plane, needing to focus on tools, new tools, um, and smart tools. And he goes into needing to work at scale, cross cloud providers, needing to use infrastructure as a service. He mentions the benefits of pushing this and advocating for this across your organization. However, I, I, I was kind of expecting him, the way he set this up, I was expecting him to tee off of that and say, oh, you as a security professional should be pushing and advocating for this across your organization to support that human element, to support that SecOps, that security working hand in hand with engineers so that you are the person pushing this thing that will benefit the organization from a security first point of view. Nah, nobody can cover everything in, in every article, but you would say that a good follow-up to this article would be... Yeah, it would be really talking about how advocating for infrastructure as a service multi-cloud deployments using CICD processes and working at scale can really help the security workflow, help the whole security environment. And a security professional who has done their research and embraced this early and has learned it early can push this across the organization and basically be the one spearheading that DevSecOps effort. Cool. That's really awesome. 
Sounds like really good. What was the uh, what was the title of that article again? Where can I find it? That was on Tech Beacon, um, and that is how to secure your cloud infrastructure: the three planes of OPSEC. Three planes of OPSEC. Not one of them it's... is an airplane. <laughs> nice, very nice. All right, so I I noticed um, on Google Cloud uh, on their blog, their products blog. So they were introducing a button that you can put in like your GitHub repo for a click to deploy to Google Cloud. So you can so you can put that button to click to deploy your API, your open source API to Google Cloud. Um, kind of, I'm sure you, you've seen the deploy on Heroku or go and try this on Play with Docker. Um, so this was, hey, go and deploy this on Google Cloud. Uh, and I, I really think a lot of Let's see, a lot of cloud providers are going to be moving this direction and intelligently so, uh, where you can, hey, I wrote an open source project. I'm going to figure out how to configure this so it can use one-click deployment to Google Cloud or AWS. Is this similar to like a Facebook like button? You don't put the Facebook like button on Facebook. You put it somewhere else and then it communicates with Facebook. Sure, sure. So in this case, I would, ha- I would, go, to, I would go to Google, I'd, I'd set up all this stuff. I'd get a little button and then I'd go over to my open source project that I've written and I'd put this button on there. So now you as a consumer can click that button and get it spun up on Google cloud to test it. Yes. Very similar to that. So um, browsing through GitHub, occasionally you will see a deploy to Heroku button where you can click it and it will spin it up fully formed in Heroku in a, whatever their free instance is. There are a couple other similar services. If you don't know about Play With Docker, go Google Play With Docker. It is a great way to get a free uh, multi-node cluster that you can play with Docker. There's also a Play With Kubernetes. But you can configure that to have a Play With Docker button where you can put that in your GitHub readme. Someone goes to your GitHub page, clicks on it, and it will spin up your app in the Play With Docker environment. Okay, that's cool. So you're saying that recently, Google Cloud has done the same thing. Yes, absolutely. Cool, that's 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 really fun news. Now, Josh, you have been giving us some really good insights, some really hot takes for the last few weeks. And people who are listening might be wondering, like, who is this guy, right? Um, they might be wondering who I am. And they're like, hey, wow, how is this really educated guy with this really, really uneducated guy. And they, they'd, they'd wonder, how did we get matched up? Well, we're not going to get into the second part of that question. We're going to get into the first part of that question. Who is this guy? Who is this Joshua Kelly guy? And why does he have any authority to speak to me? Josh, you're a really easy person to introduce. Um, like if somebody wants to just like read off your resume and be like, hey, what do you have like three degrees and one of them is a master's degree? Is that right? Two degrees. One's a master's degree. Or what were they both in again? So my bachelor's was in applied physics uh, with a concentration in astrophysics. And my master's degree was applied physics uh, with a concentration in laboratory instrumentation and automation. Okay. That's why I thought it was three because there's so many words involved in it. Yes, there were. There were a lot of words. <laughs> so you took that. You, you did all this astrophysics and, and whatever other things you studied in college and you finished your master's degree. So by now you're like a grown ass man. What did you do with that? Um, so at the end of my master's degree, I had an internship down at NASA. Uh, 
Kennedy Space Center. Um, I was working in the electrostatics and surface physics lab. Um, so that was As, so an intern at NASA, you're just what fetching coffee, <laughs> fetching coffee. Um, so I worked on a couple great projects, um, several of them having to do with uh, the moon, several of them having to do with Mars, all of them having to do with dust. And it was, it was pretty cool. So maybe we can all of them having to do with <laughs> dust. Is that what you said? Electrostatically charged dust. Oh my gosh. So they, they need a team just to make sure that dust doesn't break all their stuff, I guess. You'd be surprised. So like on the, the moon mission, there it's not worn down by the atmosphere, by wind, because there isn't any on, oh. on the moon. There's a lot of sharp, electrostatically charged dust. Um, and it's pretty deep because <laughs> it doesn't get distributed or blown around. Um, and it's charged because you've got these, these high-energy um, particles, high-energy rays coming from the sun um, and ionizing them. So they get electrostatically charged. Um, and then, you know, these astronauts come and they, they walk around and it sticks to them really easily. And because it's statically charged, it's hard to get off. It doesn't just fall off. <laughs> so by the end of their, their stay there, they were, you know, wiping this off of these, this electrostatically charged dust off of their face plates. And it's sharp enough that it was actually scouring the glass and uh, basically making it almost impossible to see through. So it, oh, it became scratching up the faceplate. Absolutely. It became more of an issue um, than we were expecting for sure. And definitely something we needed to solve for the future. So I, I didn't personally solve this problem. That's fine. Worked with the team that's been solving this problem. Okay, what about, what about Mars dust? What's going on with the Mars dust? If that's the moon dust? Absolutely. So, so Mars, there is a um, constant upload of, of dust into the atmosphere. Uh, similar thing, there's a, a much lower atmosphere than there is here on the Earth. Um, so you have a constant bombardment of radiation from the sun. So you get electrostatically charged dust. In addition to that, you have the high winds and all of the, the storms that are in there, which creates friction, which additionally charges the dust. And this dust is traveling all over the place. Um, there were a few times if you were following the rovers on Mars where they got completely covered in dust. Fortunately and unexpectedly, the storms came back through and cleared them off for us. And we got more <laughs> life out of these rovers. And that was fantastic. But we were not prepared for the amount of dust that was there. And so one of the things um, I was working on there, in addition to the stuff I was, I wasn't working on Mars. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> the stuff you're working on while you were on Mars, is that right? Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, so some of the stuff we were working on for there was uh, similar technology, and it was for removing dust from surfaces. Another thing I worked on was um, a filter, um, electrostatic precipitator filter for removing dust from the atmosphere. So we were had worked on a high-efficiency filter that was basically going to be the air intake for a chemical processor that, that processed the atmosphere into components like um, components like water or methane. So we had, before wow. you do those chemical processes, you need to remove the dust so they're not interacting with those chemical processes. Um, so that was, that was the primary, um, the primary project I was working on. Okay, so, that's anyways. really cool. So my, my, my question as you, as you go into this and you're, you're nerding out telling us about electricity and dust and molecules of water and whatever else, how, how did you get from there to, I mean, it, that, that wasn't, you know, that's, that's not, that's not like ancient history there. I mean, how did you get from, from working on these 
almost kind of a mechanical engineering sounding types of projects to programming and development and operations and Jenkins and these kinds of things. Like, were you doing any programming there uh, in the two years that you were at NASA? Absolutely. Yes, I was. So um, you'll, if you <laughs> rewind a little bit, uh, in the name of my degree is um, automata- automation and instrumentation. Um, and we did a lot of programming. So we, we programmed in C, we programmed in .NET, .NET languages and assembly. Um, we programmed Python, a uh, lot of programming low-level um, hardware, like you were talking about, a lot of uh, programming and controlling instrumentation and collecting data remotely. Um, that was all very important. A lot of automation around that. Is any of that code still be u- being used anywhere? Well, I did do a lot of dev stuff. Hopefully, I, I'm not quite sure about the current state of the stuff I was working on at NASA, but hopefully some of that's still being used. Um, but uh, so... There were a couple different circumstances, but basically um, from, from NASA, I went and I worked for a scientific, um, scientific data. Uh, it, we processed scientific data. Um, so we worked on an algorithm that processed um, scientific data. I worked there for uh, about half a year. Um, and then I actually ended up um, stepping parallel um, into mobile app development um, and picked up um, iOS um, and mobile app development. And I did that for a couple of years and really uh, along the way there, I, I enjoyed that. That was, that was fantastic. We wrote some great, great apps. And um, along the way there, uh, I really started seeing a need with the application developers I was working with um, for automated deployments, continuing continuous deployments. And Docker started to become a big thing. Um, and as I started to dig into automated deployments and Docker, I learned about Jenkins, I learned about DevOps, um, and it really just opened up a huge world for me. And coming from a physics um, direction into a dev direction, I'm now trying to learn as much ops as I can to be a full, well-rounded DevOps professional. Okay, it seems like the ops stuff might resonate with you a little bit more just from your background. It does, actually. It feels it feels a little bit like I'm coming full circle, which is pretty cool. That's really cool. So from all the things that you've been through, from going through the NASA internship and working with uh, data processing and app development to app deployment and integration, those types of things that you're doing now, what what have you learned in kind of a firsthand experience kind of thing that says like, like I can see that DevOps is important. I have worked on some teams where there was a big wall between Dev and Ops and it was really painful and it was really dysfunctional. There was a lot of distrust. Right. And I watched some of those teams as they learned about DevOps and as they grew and started embracing culture, embracing communication and really working together as a team, really just seeing the benefit of that culture change, which is, you know, you've, you know, if you've been listening to some of these podcasts, you probably heard me harp on and on about it. DevOps is culture. And I really, I really focus on that because that is the huge benefit I've seen, at least in my experience. And I realized, you know, reading about other teams, reading about the benefits they've gotten, that there's, there's more to come, that there's, there is better yet to be achieved. But I do feel that would probably be the biggest tangible thing I've experienced 
why DevOps matters. So just um, kind of seeing the walls getting broken down and yeah. seeing the before and after. And and not just like, oh wow, now we talk to each other, but we're more efficient. It's a it's a safer, well, safer might not be the best word, but it's it's a safer culture to work in. You feel like you can try things. You feel like you can make mistakes, uh, which leads to innovation. You can feel like you feel like you can do those kind of things without fear of reprimand or criticism, which I feel is a very powerful and important um, key to a successful team. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. That's really awesome. I'm, I'm sure you could go on and on about that topic. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've put you on the spot. You handled it really well. You, you were, you were a champ. You <laughs> well, were a real you, sport Eddie. there, Josh. Full transparency. When I put Josh on the spot and I gave him that little bit of a, a two minute warning at the beginning of this podcast, he started texting my phone and saying, what, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing to me right now? And so, so thanks for, thanks for playing through that with us, Josh, and, uh, and letting us hear a little bit more of your perspective and your history. So as we go on and, and hear from you in coming weeks, we know a little about a little, little bit about who's speaking to us here. Appreciate that, Josh. Thanks. Absolutely. Now, I do have. Close out, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're saying I the do, same thing. I do have a tool of the week. Yes. Um, please and do. I did have, I did have a, um, in addition to my tool of the week, I did have um, something I would like to promote in terms of, hey, go learn this. Um, oh, and that is okay. on GitHub. It's a little educational walkthrough called Learn Go with Tests. Um, it's by the user QUII. Now I'm going to pretend to pronounce that. Um, it's Learn Go with Tests, and it walks through just Learning Go um, from a test-driven test perspective. Um, now, is that the, is that, that's not the tool. That's the thing that you're pushing. Yes, this is the thing I'm pushing. Go is okay. the tool. Um, Did anybody pay you to push that? No, no one paid me. I mean, okay. it's open source. It's on GitHub. Because you owe me money if you got paid for that. No, no. Okay. Um, so, like, it, it starts with, like, hey, how do you install Go? Do a Hello World. All the way up through reflection and concurrency and, and mocking things out, dependency injection. Oh, that's great. Um, that's super helpful. Yeah, and it it's definitely it's, it's experiential-based, right? It's on GitHub. You can walk through it, do, do some code. Um, definitely worth doing. Uh, I'm doing that this week. Go walk through it yourself. Cool. That's awesome. And coming from somebody who's already been doing it is, is a good recommendation. What is your tool of the week, Josh? Josh's tool of the week. What is it? So my tool of the week is a cool cool thing I found a couple weeks ago, actually, but I wanted to bring it up this week. Um, it is FF Send by Tim Vizzy or Vizzy, um, also on GitHub, github.com. Fing Send? <laughs> no, FF Send. Got so it. as in Firefox. Um, so it uses the Firefox Send tool that Firefox put out. If you don't know what Firefox send is go to send.firefox.com it's a way to drag and drop files um if you're unauthenticated you can you can uh share gigabyte files um if you are signed in authenticated you can share up to 2.5 gigabyte files but basically you put a, a file up there you get a cdn link to it and you can send that to people to to download so most people like hey i'm going to put this in Dropbox to send it to you, I'll send you a link. Or I'm gonna put this in whatever your favorite uh, cloud Yeah, Google Drive, Drive, I think is, is what yeah, Google all, Drive. The, there all you the go. cool kids are doing, right? Oh, right, absolutely. 
this tool is a command line wrapper. And it's cool. it's a work in progress. He's upfront about that. But this is a command line wrapper around the APIs for Firefox Send. And with this, you can encrypt it, put a password on it, um, say, hey, I only want this to be downloaded once, or I want this to be downloaded five times. Uh, you could think about like, hey, the first five people to click on this link could get a copy or whatever. Um, um, or, or hey, I want to send you an encrypted file that has some secret, whatever it is. I'm going to give you the password to it, and I'm going to set it to only allow one download. All right. I'm going to let our listeners go look out, look at more of that if they want to check it out. It, you said it's on GitHub, and it's called FFSend. Is that right? Yes. GitHub.com slash Tim, V-I-S-E-E slash FFSend. All right, Josh. Appreciate you sticking through that with us. This has been Last Week in DevOps. My name is Eddie Knight. And I'm Josh Kelly. Have a great week and keep on learning.